Julie, it's October and fall just started, which means just a few things. It means back to school. It means pumpkin spice everything. <laughs> it means fall fashion. Mm-hmm. And it means colds. Snot. Cold and flu season, mm-hmm. which over the past couple of years, I think people forgot existed, to be honest. Because <laughs> we had a little respite for a while because we were all stuck inside our houses, not interacting with each other. And it was all one virus. Yes. But guess what? I think they're all coming back with a vengeance Mm -hmm. because we are out and we are traveling and we are breathing on each other again. Mm -hmm. So I have always found it very interesting how you can go into a pharmacy and go into the cold and sinus or the cold and flu aisle and just how long that aisle is (laughs) and how many things are there and how overwhelming it can be even as a physician like you and me. Mm -hmm. Right? Like... I don't yeah. know which one to pick. Just sure. make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, are any of these going to kill me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause more more harm than good. Yeah. I feel like this is probably one of the number one questions that gets texted to a doctor yeah. friend, especially in this time of year. I have a cold. Now what? Yeah. Or like, I need to function. What right. do I do? Right. And so we're going to dive into the cold and sinus aisle and we're going to go through everything and hopefully at the end of this the next time you or any of your family members have a cold you kind of don't feel as lost in that aisle what do you think i love it i love it let's do it let's do it Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. All right. I want to feel better from my cold. Julie, I I don't want to feel like this anymore. Mm -hmm. So let's bring on a pharmacist to help us. What do you think? I think that sounds great. I would love that. Just getting over an upper respiratory infection myself. So I would, uh, (laughs) I would love love information about you know the next time this thing rears its head. Yeah, we're going to talk about all the stuff that Julie loaded herself up on to make sure that she can be functional. <laughs> yes. So we're going to bring on a clinical pharmacist, and we'll even explain to you what that is. Mm-hmm. But we're going to bring on Greg Castelli. Greg is a, a good friend of mine. We did training together. He's a pharmacist who did his pharmacy school at Wilkes University and then did his two-year pharmacy residency at UPMC St. Margaret. And now I'm going to bring Greg on, and he's going to tell us what he does now. Hey, Greg. Hey, Jeremy. How are you? I've never been better. I don't have a cold right now. <laughs> good. Thanks. Well, hey, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm glad we are able to reconnect. It's been a while. So, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about what's been going on for me. I'm back at the program that we did our residency at, and I'm uh, the director of our pharmacy residency there, as well as uh, director of our interprofessional pharmacotherapy education series. That's awesome. It sounds like you are... That's a mouthful. Yeah, you you are well-suited to educate us, Greg. How do we manage our symptoms? Because that's really what it comes down to, right, is how do I feel not so shitty while this virus is sort of working its way through my various head holes? So, <laughs> you know, so Greg, walk me through. So, you know, I'm, I'm standing in the, in the aisle, in the cold and flu aisle at whatever, you know, insert pharmacy name here. And how would you direct me to kind of what to reach for? What do you think? Yeah. So I think the first rule of thumb is not to panic because (laughs) as you guys alluded to early on in the the episode, 
when you walk into an aisle, there are hundreds of different products. And so it can be really overwhelming. And so the first thing is just not to panic and seek advice if you need to. Every pharmacy has a pharmacist there that can help answer questions. If you don't have a physician on speed dial, like I have your numbers, you know, the pharmacist is a great resource. So that's probably rule number one. I mean, I think rule number two to follow is to think about what's ailing you, what symptoms you have, because that's going to help either Dr. Google or the pharmacist or whoever are going to get you to the right place for treatment. So let's just break it down. My symptoms personally, I often am a person that has had some allergy issues my whole life. So usually mine is there's too much snot in my head. (laughs) How do I reduce the amount of liquid where liquid shouldn't be in my face and head? So really great. Gross. So the, yeah. it's gross, mm-hmm. but uh, I would call that congestion, right? You, you have some Smart. nasal congestion. Julie, um, you just learned what congestion was. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. <laughs> and so we want to find things that could help with congestion. And so there are a few different categories of products that can help with congestion. The first are nasal products that you would squirt in your nose, right? And so there are two things that you can do there. There's normal saline, which is basically just salt water. And there are actual medications that you can squirt in your nose as well um, that help to dry up the lining of the nose and and basically make you not as congested. So those would be the two places to start. The nasal saline doesn't have any medications in it, so it's generally safe to use whether you're pregnant or you're a baby. And it just provides some relief to the area. The medications that I said that are out there that exist, um, think about things like Afrin. It helps to dry up the nasal passages so you don't get congested. Okay. I heard about like medications like Afrin, the one that like that dries up your nose, that maybe it's not a great thing to use longer than like a few days or a week. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so there is a three-day, do not use past three-day time limit once you start using those because what can happen is patients that use them for longer than three days can get this rebound congestion. And it's actually harder to get rid of than the congestion you initially sought treatment for in the first place. So you definitely don't want to use Afrin or products like Afrin for longer than three days because you'll be dealing with some, some congestion that won't go away for a long time. What about things like, um, it, look, since we're just on the topic of like nasal spray type situations, what about like a steroid type nasal spray, like a Flonase? I know I remember when those were not over the counter, you had to get a, a prescription to get those medications. Do you feel like there's a role for them when someone's like going through an acute sinus problem or like a cold? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would think that intranasal corticosteroids, so the steroids that you put in your nose, probably are not great for people that have an acute or a sudden illness like a cold Mm -hmm. or flu. Those medications can take up to two weeks to have their full effect. And that's really when, you know, the colds and flus are starting to get better, right? So so we don't typically recommend patients get intranasal steroids for things like common colds and stuff like that. Makes sense. So you you brought up Afrin, which was kind of our first introduction to like any type of medication that we would see in this aisle. And I think this is a really awesome time to talk about the fact that Afrin's a brand name, right? So like Afrin yes. is a name of a medication, but the actual medication is hard to say. And it's oxymetolazine, which is, I didn't say it right. Say it right, Greg. Oxymetazoline is how <laughs> there I is. think See? it's pronounced. Score one for Greg. We have a whole class in pharmacy school about reading physician's handwriting and... Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> and pronouncing drug names. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so the whole class in medical school is how to say it wrong so the pharmacist has to pick up on it. But yeah, like most of these drug names are ones that kind of sound like you're sneezing as you say it, which is ironic because <laughs> um, you Cute. have congestion. But the concept here, right, is that the generic name is hard to say and confusing, but generally speaking also would be in different types of medications, right? So if I go in and I see Afrin, there may be something next to it that has this long generic name on it or something where maybe like, you know, one of the local pharmacies will change it to some fancy name that they use generic. And so can a person get the one that's generic and feel like they're getting the same product or should they be buying the brand name in this situation? And maybe it's different for all of them, but. Yeah, that's a great question, Jeremy. I would say that most of the time, a generic is just as good as the brand that you're picking that's right next to it, um, except it's going to be much cheaper. So you'll find that companies that make the brand also make the generic available for the stores to sell and put their own label on. So I would feel very confident um, recommending to patients to pick up a generic product if there's one there to save some money and um, expect the same results that you would get from the branded product. Cool. That's a good rule of thumb, I think, to follow is when you're in that aisle, save some cash, go with the generic, and um, you'll probably be better off. Love that. So we've talked about intranasal, meaning it goes to where the problem is. Is that generally preferred before we start talking about oral medications just because it's going to where the problem is? Or are the oral medications also recommended? Yeah, so I think that just like many things in, in medicine, if you can localize and target the specific area that's causing you problems, that's going to be much preferred than giving you something that goes throughout the whole body or systemically. So in favor of congestion, you know, you want to probably start with nasal products because they're going to be targeted. But there are oral products that go throughout the whole body that work great as well. And you can use those should your symptoms not get better from going the nasal route first. I want to move on to one of the brand names that's the most confusing of all the brand names in this area because it's a brand name that sometimes has a different drug in it, and that's Sudafed. Mm. So you can go buy Sudafed, but you may not be getting what you think is in there, which is probably Sudafedrin, Sudafed, short for Sudafedrin. Mm -hmm. What am I getting if I just go buy that over the counter and I don't have to go talk to a pharmacist? Yeah, so if you are in the aisle of the pharmacy and you see a product that's called Sudafed, usually there's two letters that follow that called PE. And that PE stands for phenylephrine. That phenylephrine that is part of that Sudafed product is the main active ingredient. And I think what both science and just anecdotal evidence tells us is that it really doesn't help with the congestion that you or your patients are going to be feeling. So if you're looking to take something by mouth that has Sudafed in it, you're definitely going to want to go and talk to the pharmacist at, at the counter. Behind there, they keep the Sudafedrin products, which are the ones that help out the most, kind of locked up so that you can ask for those, show your ID, and uh, pay for them. <laughs> there it is, 12 hours. I'm holding it up to the camera right now, yes. Sudafedrin. But these, uh, again, phenylephrine and then Sudafedrin, again, for congestion, right, primarily? For congestion, yes. And the the mechanism is similar to what Afrin does, except it kind of happens throughout the body, right? So where Afrin helps to dry up your nasal passages, pseudoephedrine also does that. But it gets into these considerations for people that have high blood pressure or heart problems um, because it's going to constrict some of those vessels around our body as well. And so that's where that kind of notion of only try to target it locally first would be helpful. 
So maybe check with your doctor if you have things like heart disease or high blood pressure or glaucoma or some sort of BPH thing before you take pseudoephedrine. You probably can take it, but maybe just with the guidance of a physician type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if your conditions like that, high blood pressure or heart disease are under good control, you don't really have any issues, your doctor says it's cool, then you can take it for a short period of time without any worry. But I think over the years, you know, a lot of these pharmaceutical companies have fed on that worry that patients have. And so there are actually whole lines of products devoted for heart health, cough and cold ailments. Probably the most familiar recognizable one is Coracetin. Um, Coracetin is the branded product. And if you go into any aisle in the pharmacy for cough and cold, you'll inevitably see a Coracetin few shelves there. Um, If you look at them, they say they're for people that have heart problems, but really they've just got similar medications that other generics have in them. They just don't have any of the Sudafed or phenylephrine products in them. So got it. This is great. I feel like we've already identified two that would help. We have the one that's, you can't say oxymetazoline, and then you have pseudephedrine, which work, and then don't buy anything that has phenylephrine in it. Or if you buy it, know that it's a glorified placebo. That's right. Or, you know, it, it could be a situation where it, the risk may outweigh the benefit in, to a sense if you, you know, so many people struggle with hypertension. I know, I mean, would you agree, Greg, that phenylephrine is one of those medications that could negatively affect someone's blood pressure? Or uh, did I hear that wrong? Yes. Okay, yeah. So if it's not really going to provide a lot of decongestant help, and that's really your active ingredient, maybe that's not a a great one to choose. Yeah, I'm right on board with you. And I think the other class of medications that maybe can help dry up your nose and get rid of some of that congestion are antihistamines. Mm -hmm. So these are your typical products that you would think about for allergies. Most people would recognize Benadryl as an antihistamine. There are also ones that cause less of that drowsiness feeling. And those are products like Claritin or Loratadine, Zyrtec or Cetirazine. So those those are all products that can help kind of dry up that the congestion that you're experiencing and can be safely taken for many people. Yeah, those are my my mainstay. One quick thing I wanted to talk about about antihistamines, and then we can move on to like cough and those all the things that we can have treat cough is all of the products that you see in like the sleep aid aisle, like z or like anything that just, ha- you know, like is like a sleep aid. And what I had seen, Greg, is that this is pretty much just Benadryl. <laughs> Am I wrong? Like, isn't it we're just utilizing Benadryl for its side effect of drowsiness to treat sleeplessness? Is that correct? Absolutely right. And if it's not Benadryl, it's another antihistamine called doxalamine, which is in a lot of those products as well. So you do have to have this kind of trade off with kind of getting some of the relief of antihistamines, but also the negative down effects of probably more drowsiness. So if you're older, an older patient, an older adult, you'd want to be careful of that if you're on certain medications that also are kind of downers, or if you're drinking recreationally, Mm -hmm. that's a downer too. You want to be careful of how much of the antihistamines you take. And if you're looking for a good balance of it's going to help provide some congestion relief with with the drowsiness, probably the best balance for that is cetirazine, which is generic for Zyrtec. That's one of the ones I'm usually recommending for patients when they come in with some of these complaints. That was a really good question, Julie. And so like, I know a lot of people buy like NyQuil and things like that when they have a cold because it helps them sleep. And again, I think it's the same concept, right? We we're just talking about putting Benadryl in things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the thing with NyQuil, it's, it's probably a good segue if you're using the business term. 
It's a good segue to another kind of rule of thumb, which is NyQuil actually probably has some cough and cold and flu products. And so you want to be careful to only get the product that you need. And so if you go in and buy a NyQuil product, there's probably two, three, four medications in that. Um, And you're not going to want to take four medications when you only have a cough or runny nose. And so you want to try to pinpoint what your symptom is that you need help with and then find a product that's helpful for that. That's an awesome point. And something that I feel like was hammered home, I feel like, Greg, when you and I were training too, is just to like, think of your symptom, find a singular medication by the singular medication. So in the example we just talked about, I'm congested. Okay, I'm going to get pseudofedrin. I'm going to get, you know, the Afrin type of medication. I'm not going to go by the multi-combination and try to do everything because then you don't even know what you can take it with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Exactly right. Yep. Keep it simple. Or what other medications you are maybe taking at home already from your doctor that can interact with those things. Yeah. Keeping it simple is the way to go. Well, it sounds like cough tends to be one of the most common things that brings people to talk to the doctor and or maybe even go to the pharmacy to pick up medication. I feel like, yeah, like I'm snotty and I'm blowing my nose a lot, but it's the actual like I don't know, it's disruptive, it doesn't feel good, it's loud, other people notice it, <laughs> and you want it to... Yeah, sh- well, it's also the it's the new pooping your pants, because if you <laughs> cough, everybody stares at you now like, ah, he has the plague. Uh, yeah, you want it to go away. And it, you know, and it keeps you from sleeping. Sometimes it's difficult, you know, like, it'll wake you up if you're not able to, like, clear out gunk out of your upper airways. But, yeah, you know, there's... And it seems to be the thing that lingers the longest sometimes, too, So, yeah. And then people talk about dry cough versus wet cough. There's a lot of cough stuff we can talk about, Greg, (laughs) but I feel like cough medications are are sort of the the thing that, that brings people to the pharmacy. So talk us through what's out there to help treat it. Yeah. Absolutely. I I agree that cough is probably a very common reason that people will seek self-care, seek treatment. One of the first things that I try to do, though, is set some expectations. If somebody is trying to get some cough uh, relief, there was a study done about 10 years ago that showed a mismatch of how long a cough actually lasts for the common cold and common things we're talking about compared to how long patients think the cough is going to last. And so the average length of cough was shown to be about 18 days, whereas patients felt like their cough should get better within five to seven days. So you're thinking about almost a two-week kind of difference Mm -hmm. of time. And so if you can help people realize that it's going to take a while, almost three weeks, Mm -hmm. to have your cough get better, that's probably the first thing. So that way they don't get through five days of treatment and they're like, okay, this thing isn't working. I need to do something else and something else. And they're spending a lot of money at the pharmacy. They probably don't need to. Yeah. Or they're they're worried that now is this some type of infection that would necessitate more testing like a chest x-ray or like now do I need an antibiotic? I'm still coughing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, Greg, that's a really great point. If you manage people's expectations, either by like talking to your physician or just listening to something like this to be like, look, the data shows that it's probably going to take up to three weeks for this cough to really go away. It's sort of like, okay, well, I can handle that if I know that what I'm experiencing two weeks into this illness is still pretty normal. And I'm willing to wait it out, especially if things aren't rapidly getting worse. So that I think that's right. a really salient piece of information. I'm on day 14 of my cough, Greg. And so I, I'm not contagious and I'd like to go back to work. But if I cough, the whole room looks at me and says, you know, it's, <laughs> yes. like at this point, like it, it, ah, everybody's looking at me because I coughed. How do I stop myself from coughing? Greg, help me stop my cough. The room typically looks at you anyways, Jeremy, just, <laughs> just putting that out there. But uh, that's good. It's so, well done. <laughs> 
as Julie alluded to, you know, maybe one of the first questions you should ask yourself when you're thinking about how to treat your cough is, do you have a productive cough? Some people may call that a wet cough. And or do you have a dry cough, one that's kind of hacky and there and you're not really bringing anything up from your chest, but it's just causing you to not get some sleep or people look at you, those kinds of things. So I think you have to answer those questions first. And um, when you do, you may be targeting different products when you go into the pharmacy aisle. If you're thinking that you have a wet cough, meaning again, you're bringing mucus up from your chest, from your lungs, you're you're kind of spitting that out. Probably the product you want to target is an expectorant, which is a medication that helps kind of loosen up that mucus that you're holding on to so that you can clear it and can, you know, cough it up and spit it out or swallow it or whatever you do with that stuff. So the most common expectorant that we have on the market is a medication called guafenicine, which is generic in a lot of products of mucinex. So... I feel like that's great branding, like X, yeah. X to the mucus. Yeah, I love X it. X to the mucus. It's definitely the uh, miracle drug for my wife. That's the one that like, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Like you just take it and she's going to feel better. So we always have, we always have some mucinex in, mucinex. in my house. Yeah. So, was mucinex my, the one that had the, uh, the advertisement where like, there was like a disgusting mucus blob that uh-huh. was <laughs> like, an, I, that was also very good advertising. Whoever does the marketing for mucinex is mwah, chef's kiss to them. The little green dude, right? He was like yes. causing problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The big snot blob. Yeah. It's so gross. Yeah. I feel like it's in almost every met cold and sinus medication. So like, what should I be looking for? Should I be looking for dosages? Should I be buying it separate? Like, does it even work? Yeah. So to, does it even work? The studies that have looked at it really haven't shown it to be super helpful and have found that just by increasing your fluid intake can probably have a similar effect. And so I think that would be a good thing to talk to patients about if they're having wet cough, just to drink more water is probably good enough. But we all know that people like to take something and feel like it's helping them. And so if you were going to go down the path of taking guafenicin product like Mucinex, I think you probably want to look for a product that's 12 hours and the 1200 milligram dose. So why both of those recommendations? The 12 hour recommendation is you don't have to take it four times a day. You only take it two times a day. And so that makes it a lot easier for people to not miss doses in between. Then the 1200 milligrams, uh, if you take two of those a day, so you're up to 2400 milligrams, that probably has the best, even though questionable evidence of of helping with your your wet cough. So if you're going to go for a guafenicin product, try to find a 12 hour one and one that's 1200 milligrams. I like that. The rule of 12. The rule of 12. By Greg. Yeah, it's good too, right? Because I'm looking at the box right here and this is the 1200 extended release. So this is the 12 hour one. But it it says like in really red letters, like maximum strength. And I could Mm -hmm. see somebody going in and being like, I don't feel like I need maximum strength. I'll just Mm -hmm. get the other one. But like the maximum strength is actually the dose you kind of want, right? So there's a lot of over the counter medications, Julie, that people ask us about and we're like, oh no, like for the you know anti-inflammatory dose, mm-hmm. which we want you to take higher. And so like, again, the maximum strength one is actually the only one that may be effective. So don't buy the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes in liquids and tablets and it's in combinations with everything, as you mentioned, Jeremy. So, you know, you, I would try to stick to the product that you need. That's a recurring theme here. Um, and if you are somebody that likes cough syrup, then take some cough syrup. If you'd rather take a tablet, it comes in tablets too. Just, just don't cook your chicken in it. I understand that's a new <laughs> trend people are doing. I think it's fake news. You heard it here first. Don't cook your chicken in your mucinex. No. <laughs> well, yeah, it, that's disgusting. I don't get like 
I don't even know how to go into that. What's the the flavor profile? I feel like we addressed it pretty well. Yeah, yeah. We, I feel like we addressed it pretty well. Like stick to the usual yeah. marinades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we'll get later. I think in today's talk about like different types of food products as sort of like honey and things like that as as symptomatic treatment for the cold. But mucinex not one of them. So don't do that with your food. Yeah. Yeah. What about the dry cough, Greg? What would you recommend? Yeah. So one thing that you'll find for a lot of cough products is that they have a combination of this guafenacine for the wet cough with the dry product cough, which is dextromethorphan or DM you'll see on labels. And so there are some folks that say don't mix them, right? Because you either have a wet cough or a dry cough. I don't know that I get too into the weeds of that because, again, the guafenacin products don't really work that well. So if you're going to take it with the dextrovathorphan, like I don't really care that much. But just know if you're going to stick to my rule of only pick the medicine that you need, then for a dry cough, you're going to want to find a product that has dextrovathorphan or again, a product that has DM in it. Um, and to make things confusing, Mucinex has a DM product. So you can go mm-hmm. into the pharmacy aisle and find a Mucinex DM, and that product is going to have dextromethorphan, and it probably also has some guafenacin in it, too. Is this purple drink? Yeah. Yeah, purple drink. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the abuse potential for this medication, because this even reminds me of, like, my husband had stories when he was in high school about robo-tripping and stuff like that that I won't go into personal stories but like yeah like you hear about people abusing this because it it has other effects right greg yeah so it's kind of a similar mimicker of like serotonin i think a lot of your listeners probably know that serotonin works in the brain it it has some role in feeling well and feeling good and so you know if you take or use a lot of this stuff it can have some good effects for you, you know, mm-hmm. so you probably don't want to do that. And if, if you have kids at home, you want to lock it up behind some closed doors and make sure they can't get access to it, too. It can cause some hallucinations and delusions. And so people, you know, will, will do whatever they want to feel like they're having a good time. So that's one that's one of the risks for dextromethorphan, I think. What's the dosages that you would you'd think that you'd start to see more of those central nervous system effects? Like, are you talking about like a whole drinking a whole thing of Robitussin or whatever? Like, I mean, I know everybody's different, but as for like a normal adult human being, how often would people need to be taking it before they'd worry like, am I going to feel like goo goo gaga and not be able to drive my car or go to work? Yeah. So, I mean, the bottles that that you buy in the store, if you're going to buy a liquid are 120 mLs Mm -hmm. and you're typically taking five to 10 mLs every four to six hours. So if you do the math really quick, I'm a pharmacist, I'm good at math, you know, that means that if you're drinking more than like a half a bottle a day, you're probably having too much of it, right? So you want to try to limit your amount to whenever you're having symptoms. And I would say if you're over a bottle a day, that's probably not a good sign. You probably don't want to do that. So I don't have the exact number in mind of when things get, you know, hairy for Mm -hmm. for it so no that's a good rule of thumb though yeah that's good let's talk about antipyretics i feel like we haven't talked about maybe some of the most common medications and maybe ones that get overlooked in the cold and sinus time where you're just like oh i need a cold and sinus i don't really need the other ones so like antipyretic meaning i'm trying to get rid of a fever so what are Mm -hmm. some of those medications yeah those would be your typical products that you'd find in the in the pharmacy 
for pain, right? So things like ibuprofen, which has the name of Advil or Motrin, acetaminophen, which is Tylenol. So those things are also can be used as antipyretics because they also help with pain, they reduce inflammation. And so, you know, you want to be careful if you have certain disease states, like, again, high blood pressure, heart disease, those sorts of things, you'd want to be careful about using NSAIDs in or the ibuprofen slash naproxen. Tylenol is generally safe for most folks, um, unless you have liver disease, but it probably doesn't work as great from a fever reducing standpoint as your other your other medications. So. Yeah, I feel like Julie, anecdotally, when people call me and text me and say like, hey, I have a, you know, I'm not just not feeling good or whatever, what do you recommend? I usually mm-hmm. always start with like just round the clock Tylenol. I just feel like it makes people feel better even if they don't have fevers. Yeah. And again, dosage wise, I usually say it's like a thousand milligrams three times a day. I mean, obviously you want to check medications, but that's my own personal feeling. What do you think? No, I would agree. I mean, that's kind of what I had just used this past week when I was feeling crummy and just like. Again, who knows how much of it is placebo and how much how much of it is just like the pain relieving aspects, because I think sometimes the the big part of this is not just the symptoms of like I'm coughing or I have all these increased, you know, secretions. It's like I just feel like shit. All my muscles hurt and like it hurts to move around and I'm just like, I don't know, everything is kind of achy. And I feel like that's the main symptoms that that I'm treating a lot too. And, or you could make a case too, like I'm coughing so much that like all my muscles sort of hurt. Like, so I think that that is helpful. And because it has such a a lower side effect profile, I think it's a nice place to start and sort of build off on if you need to. Yeah, for sure. And I think like, I think Tylenol and the products like Motrin or Aleve, those can be taken together without any consequence, right? Mm -hmm. So I know for kids, one of the recommendations we'll have is to actually alternate the two because they work differently. And if you take them with each other, there's not any harm with doing that. So you may, if you're feeling feverish or just kind of achy around a cough or a cold, not in general, you may say, yeah, why don't you take some ibuprofen and then four hours later, take some Tylenol and then in two hours, take your ibuprofen dose again. So you kind of alternate them. Um, And that has been shown to be effective for fever management in in pediatrics. So funny you should mention kids. Let's talk about that for a second, because Mm -hmm. I feel like that is an area both from personal experience, but also from doctor question that is just so difficult when managing these colds and they can't communicate well to you. Mm -hmm. They keep you up They're They can't sleep well. They're not eating. It's just like it's a disaster. And all you want to do is give them medication to make them feel better because that's what you're used to doing for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people get into trouble because they're just like, I'm going to give them the medicine I have or whatever. And so let's talk about same type of concept. Like I'm in the cold and sinus aisle. Now I want something for my kids. What are the general principles recommended for children? Yeah, that's a great question. And I have three kids too. So they're bringing stuff home from daycare all the time. And I'm actually just getting over hand, foot and mouth, which who knew that an adult can get that, but (laughs) I'll digress. So I think the number one thing when you're in the aisle and you're thinking about it is you're going to get the kid version of the medication, right? Because there are going to be different dosages than are available for for your adults. And so you want to make sure you're finding a kid product. We already went over keeping things stored safely. You don't want kids getting into it 
I hated the taste of cold medicine when I was younger, but some kids might like it and want to take some more of that. So you want to keep it stored safely. And then the next most important thing is making sure you can accurately dose the medication. And so a lot of the medications come with a cup that is somewhat marked, but somewhat not easy to read. Mm -hmm. You can also ask the pharmacist there to give you a dropper or a spoon that you can use for measuring purposes, and those can be a little bit more accurate. So those are kind of like my general principles if you're looking to take care of one of your little ones um, who have some of these cough, cold, whatever symptoms. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that's so important to make sure you're giving accurate dosage, and especially with kids because they have littler bodies and they have, you know, different ways that they they break down medications. I don't know, Greg, I'm sure you've seen this too, and working in throughout a hospital, and Jeremy, you can echo if you, I feel like when I w- worked in the pediatric ER, we would see tons of dextromethorphan toxicity. So like kids that were coming in with altered mental status because they were sick and then their folks didn't realize that they maybe were giving two or three different medications that all had some dose of, you know, dexamethorphan or maybe other, you know, other antihistamines or something. And all of a sudden their kid is just like not acting normal and they bring them in. And then when you break it down, it's like, oh crap, because they were getting like two times the adult dose of it. So yeah, I think it's important to make sure that when you're giving this you know, to children, or maybe you have multiple caretakers taking care of that kid. Maybe grandma and grandpa are helping during the day while you're at work, and then you come home, and the kid's still feeling cruddy, and you give them, you know, seemingly a different medication. Maybe you just given them three times the dose of the, you know, the dextromethorphan. I don't know how often you guys see that, or, you know, if that's a big concern as well. Yeah, no, I um, I totally agree. Our, our hospital is, we, we, we have a pediatric children's center, like, two minutes away, so mm-hmm. we don't get a lot of the, the kids' cases, but for sure, that's an important point. Definitely underline, you don't want to give your kid the adult version of what you have in the mm-hmm. cabinet because there could be some potentially serious consequences. Some of the medications that we've talked about already are not good for kids. So going back to the products like pseudoephedrine and phenylephrine, um, remember those were good for adult congestion potentially. Um, you don't want to give them the kids. They can cause hallucinations. They can cause irritability. And so you want to be careful with that. And then you already mentioned dextromethorphan. Antihistamines generally are safe. But again, if somebody takes a lot of it, you can cause kids to have all kinds of weird effects. I was reading a case report a few years ago that somebody took a few doses of Benadryl and it caused actual hyperactivity, like mm-hmm. they were bouncing off the walls. Mm-hmm. And when you think about Benadryl, you think about making me tired. So kids just react to things differently and you want to make sure you're getting products that are formulated for them. Is there a natural cutoff for like what defines a kid? So I'm because I'm sure there may be a listener here who has like a 13 year old or like some sort of like 11 year old who kind of is, you know, kind of bigger, like can they start to take those medications or is it clearly labeled or that kind of thing? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I would probably refer you to the products box. So when you look at the box, it'll tell you what age is good because I can't give you a blanket statement. We know that these products are all mixed and matched together. And when you're walking down the aisle, you may be looking at something that has five different things in it. So it's hard to really point you into one size fits all answer. The box will clearly tell you when it's safe. And there are some products that will say like, 
below this age, ask a doctor or pharmacist. So for instance, like Tylenol or acetaminophen or Motrin or ibuprofen, those products will say, ask somebody for help. You can give those products at six months and older, but they just don't want to be held responsible for telling you the dose and you have to do it wrong and having the patient do it wrong. So asking for help in that situation by a pharmacist or your physician is, is a way to kind of circumvent that. Yeah, I love that point. I'm looking at the Sudafed label right now, and it, it says adults and children 12 years and over and gives a dose. And then children under 12 years, it says do not use this product in children under 12 years. But I think also leading up to this conversation that you and I did, and I, early on, there were a couple things on the label that we were kind of like, oh, yeah, we kind of recommend higher or whatever. And so sometimes people are like, ah, oh, the label's just to like protect them. And so but in this case, like, listen to the label, especially when you're talking about ages for kids is what I hear from Greg. Yeah. And and actually, that's a perfect example that you just talked about, because it doesn't even tell you to ask the doctor or pharmacist friend. It says, don't do it if you're under 12. So yeah. listen to the box there. And if it says to ask, ask, right? Like, don't don't go on Google and try to interpret whatever WebMD is telling you, ask for some help. It takes two minutes and you have better outcomes. So so this is one of the areas where I feel like medicine does a terrible job at meeting people where they are. I feel like most of the time you go and see a doctor or whatever, and you're like, what can I give my kid to make them feel better? We mostly just tell them all the things we can't give them and it's not safe. And like, yeah. like it'll go away. But like anybody who's had to be home with a sick kid, just anything, anything that makes it feel a little bit better. So like, what are some things that you can tell us that we can give that are safe that may help? Yeah. So if we're talking about congestion, and I've done this for all three of my kids, recommended to me by my doctor friends, you want to try to use nasal saline and a mucus sucker. Okay, so if you were at the hospital, I'm sure at discharge after your birth, they gave you a little blue bulb and you put it up the nose and you suck out the mucus. We have used just that nasal saline, which is the salt water that helps to kind of break up whatever congestion the kid is having and then use something to suck out the mucus. We use a product that you actually put the tip into the nose and it has like a little hose thing and you, you take some puffs out of it and it brings the mucus out of there. Mm -hmm. We found that to be more effective than the blue bulb um, that you commonly would see. The nose Frida, man. The mm -hmm. nose Frida. Everybody needs a nose Frida. My wife is an expert nose Frida. It is very <laughs> weird to watch a grown human take something, put it into a kid's nose and then just suck like a straw to get it out. But yeah, I agree. It works really, really well. I've only ever tasted their snots once out of the, you know, three kids in five years that I've done it. So <laughs> there can't be like a like a one way valve. <laughs> like, no, there's a valve on it. So nightmare fuel. It shouldn't happen. But it's uh, yeah. And also the, the only hard part about that, just in, in all seriousness, is a lot of times that can like rile up the child. Mm -hmm. And we all know that crying can actually increase congestion. So you got to yeah. kind of like max, you know, like kind of mix the you know, how vigorous, yeah, how vigorous you're being with it. And, mm -hmm. and the other thing too, is how often you're doing it, because yeah. I think the tendency is to treat kids a little bit like how often we blow our nose. Mm -hmm. Anytime you hear congestion, you want to do it, but you actually can have that like rebound effect, at least yeah. in my experience, because you're just, you're making them upset. And also like, you're just stimulating things. Yeah. Yes. Sure. 100%. I agree with you. Um, the nasal saline is probably, it's safe. There's no active kind of chemical in it. So you can feel free to use that as long as it doesn't upset them and, and they feel comfortable. And yeah, you want to probably time the, that nose freeder, the nasal um, sucking, you know, before bed, before naps, just to give them some relief, not do it, you know, around the clock. 
Yeah, I feel like it's important to mention to like keep their little mucous membranes, you know, not so raw. I don't know. I feel like even personally me, like if I have to like wipe my nose a lot or if it's dry outside and I, I tend to get a lot of like that redness right around like the openings of the nose that can be just as irritating as the mucus that's in your nose too. So I tend to get like the tissues that have aloe in them or even like putting a little bit of like um, like Vaseline or, or like a little moisturizer underneath my nose it makes me feel better at least. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you can use antihistamines in this in mm-hmm. children. Um, they can help kind of dry up your nose too. You want to be careful with the age and the dosage and all those things. Um, Box can help you. Pharmacist, doctor can help you with those with those things as well. Cool. What about coughing? Which, by the way, keeps kids up so much at night. And it's just like, please, just anything. <laughs> I know. And, and it, if it's keeping the kids up, it's keeping you up too, right? Yes. So... They actually did a study a few years ago that looked at both parent satisfaction as well as kids' coughing symptoms and found that the best product out there was actually honey. They used honey produced from a few different plants and found that kids that were treated with the honey slept better throughout the night than kids did with a placebo or an actual cough medicine that was flavored like honey. And... The second part of that was that actually parents really liked that product. And so they felt like their satisfaction was better because their kids were sleeping better and they were probably getting some better rest too. So honey seems to be a really good thing to use for kids. There are a couple of considerations though. Uh, The first is that you don't want to use honey products in kids that are less than one year of age. There's risk for botulism. And so you want to make sure that you have at least a 12 month old at home before you use the honey. And we think that honey is good. It has some antioxidant effects. If you're familiar with that term, it just means it's got some good, good properties that maybe help clear out the, the bad stuff in your, in your body. So those are some good things about honey to keep in mind. Yeah. What about we're talking about like dry air and dryness in general? Like I know we were trying to dry up their secretions, but what if they like, what about things like humidifiers and vaporizers and that kind of stuff? Do you have any recommendations about that? Yeah, sure. So the other thing I just want to say quickly about mm-hmm. honey is you can probably get honey in the pharmacy aisle. It doesn't necessarily have to be that branded product. I think that there are a lot of different honeys out there on the market that that you could try. And even just the honey in your local kind of baking aisle probably mm-hmm. works okay. You would want to tell your patients or, you know, if you're out there listening, you would want to probably avoid ones with the bad high fructose corn syrup and stuff. Raw honey was good. So that could be something that saves you some money and, you know, can also help with some of the cough. So your question is about other home remedies like vaporizers. So there are a couple of different products out there. There's humidifiers um, and vaporizers. Humidifiers, they both kind of make the air a little bit more moist for us and for our environment. The big difference is that vaporizers get hot and they make they create a warm mist and so you have to use caution because kids can touch those in the middle of the night and and burn themselves and the other rule of thumb if you're going to do a humidifier or vaporizer is to use distilled water because that's going to be the purest form of water you're not going to be spewing bacteria or other germs into the air um, as you're trying to get your kid over those over that cough or cold so absolutely um, what about the topical products for kids, like a VapoRub, Vicks, Baby Rubs? What do you think about? Give us some guidance about that, Greg. 
So these products really are only recommended for those two years of age and older. Mm -hmm. I think we all grew up with certain practices, right? Your mom probably did something <laughs> different than my mom. My mom was not a big Vicks or whatever vape rub person, but you may have grown up in a household that was. And so your inclination is to use them for your kids. I don't have a huge problem with it um, as long as the you know you have an age appropriate person and you're applying it to the chest and neck only. Mm -hmm. These products can actually be absorbed into your body through the skin or if a kid gets access to it and eats them, you know, that can cause some bad side effects. So you want to use a small amount and only apply as recommended by the product to the chest or neck. They can help soothe soothe the kid's cough. But I think we've already talked about honey having a lot of good evidence. And so that would probably be where I would go first, um, just because it's easy and it's widely regarded as safe. I love it. I feel like I've seen some, you know, chatter in you know groups or with parents or whatnot about camphor, which is the active ingredient that's in a lot of these like uh, rubs. Um, and it's not mm -hmm. in all of them, but it's in a lot of them. It, is there anything to be concerned about with camphor, especially with kids or anything like that? Well, I think if you're using it appropriately, age and dose, then probably not. But if you are tending, you know, if you use a little bit more than you're supposed to, or kids get access to it, and they're not supposed to be putting it on themselves, it can cause some serious effects like liver toxicity. Um, there have been case reports of it causing seizures. So I think if you're using it correctly, concern is low, but you definitely want to be careful about how it's being used and where it's being stored because you don't want to obviously have any of those negative effects. So um, I think because they have that asterisk of potential for bad things, that's why I generally gravitate towards recommending honey as a first line option for kids cough. Yeah, and we've we found personally there there's a lot of products like I'm holding up the Zarbi's chest rub that that are kind of like uh, they don't have camphor in it and are a little bit I, I don't know they're they're advertised as natural but again for the chest rub aspect doesn't have that product in it which has been nice but I think it's a decent transition too to talk about a little bit of these like natural products like. I have Zarbi's uh, cough syrup and mucus in front of me, and some of these are the only ones that are even allowed be below the age of two. And, you know, like the primary ingredient looks like it's a honey, so I feel like I'm buying just glorified honey, but there's some <laughs> other stuff in here, and I just want to briefly touch on some of this. Like, so it talks about, you know, English ivy leaf extract and grapefruit seed extract, and I'm not expecting you to kind of like go through each one of these things, but are these types of things valuable? Are they dangerous? Like, where can people get more information to make sure they're not hurting their kids? Because we can't go through every possible thing on the market right now on this podcast. Yeah, that's a good question. And I haven't heard that those products are unsafe, but as is with the, you know, probably multi-billion dollar industry of herbals, there's often scarce evidence for how well they work or what potential bad things can happen with them. You know, I'm guessing that Zerabees, before they, you know, put it out on the shelves, has done extensive testing to make sure that, you know, these things are safe for, for a subsection of the population that would take them. But I, I don't know exactly what they do if you were to take that product for a year. Probably the best thing would be to bring that box to your pharmacist at the counter and say, hey, um, what do we know about this product or that product? And if they don't know, they, they definitely have access to some backdoor information to look to see how you know credible it is or what the potential risks are. You're going to get better information from a scientific database that pharmacists or doctors have access to than if you were to just ask Google, because Google probably doesn't have a lot of information on it out there. So cool. 
What about the stuff for adults like uh, zinc or um, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm throwing emergencies in all the time because it, you know, it gives me something that I feel like I'm doing. Like, what about that stuff? Does any of that help or should people be looking into any of that? Yeah, good question. Again, there's a lot of these things have kind of volleyed back and forth with emergency that has a high amount of vitamin C in it. I think it's one of those things that changes every other year. Does vitamin C help prevent against the cough or cold or does it do anything? I think if you wanted to take vitamin C, you have to take a lot of it to Mm -hmm. show some benefit, like over a thousand milligrams or so a day. And that's not for everybody. Some people that have kidney function problems, you probably wouldn't recommend taking vitamin C in. So, I mean, it's hard to recommend some of these products. Um, I think really just coming back to rest at home, increasing your fluids, kind of chicken noodle soup, if you will, mm-hmm. um, care is probably the best best care when you get them. And, you know, try to keep yourself healthy by washing your hands and keeping your kids out of harm's way when they come home from daycare, you know, giving them a good scrub down too. So that's probably <laughs> the best best thing I can tell you. An ounce of prevention, Greg, an ounce of prevention from the pharmacist. I like it. I feel like you just hit on a great thing there because like vitamin C, I think people think about that stuff and they're like, you can't overdose on that. There's no problems with it. It's just a vitamin, but like there can be consequences to everything. So you yeah. just want to kind of make sure that that A, you're not just doing things, you know, willy nilly and B, also, if you are planning to do something, it's not unreasonable to ask your doctor friend or your actual doctor or a pharmacist just to be like, am I going to cause any harm with this? Um, so I yeah. love that point. Absolutely. I mean, things that are available over the counter for you to buy doesn't mean they're just because they're there doesn't mean they're safe. Mm -hmm. A lot of those products haven't been evaluated by the FDA and they don't have to actually show any scientific proof that they're safe and effective. They can just have claims like may help support a healthy lifestyle or may help do this or help do that. And so it's just a good thing to think about that before you buy it, what are the potential harms? What what can happen if I take too much of this stuff? And don't do it if you have questions, those questions. Yeah. I think it's interesting to think about how some of these medications have been around for so long that I, I'm almost surprised that they're, they're like grandfathered in that they are over the counter. Greg, would you agree? Like there's a fair amount of these medications that are over the counter. I have such interesting and small limitations in like too much can be harmful for you. Like If these medications, like even things like NSAIDs or like pseudoephedrine or dextromethorphan, if they were created today by a pharmaceutical company, do you think that they would be available over the counter? That's a good question. I mean, (laughs) probably not, right? Like you're alluding to, a lot of these things are grandfathered in. Mm -hmm. You can walk down the herbal uh, vitamin aisle and pick up a bottle of St. John's wort and Mm -hmm. You're like looking at that and it helps with mood and anxiety. And you're like, what could be wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe a hundred years ago, somebody had the St. John's wort plant and ate it, right? And they, they felt better. But we know that that's not necessarily safe. It interacts with a lot of medications. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think kind of having that that eye when you're walking down the aisle that these things aren't necessarily, have not necessarily been proven to be safe. And if you take too much of them, it can be harmful for you. So yeah, it's a good question. And we also had that, Julie, we brought this up in our contraception mm-hmm. podcast where we're like, we can't even get those over the counter. You know, like there's some right. that it would be great to give more access to and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's that's a great topic. All right. One more special population uh, I want to hit on because, again, this is anecdotal experience. My wife was pregnant twice and anytime she got a cold, it was like. You just have to like be miserable as a pregnant woman. You just have to like, you're already sometimes miserable because you're <laughs> pregnant. But then they, on top of that, you're just like, okay, you just got to, it's another time where we're telling women just like, 
suffer through. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can, can a pregnant woman do anything to feel better without causing harm to their baby or themselves? Yeah. Um, first is ask their partner for support. So Jeremy, I'm sure you provided <laughs> a lot of support to your wife as she was uh, going through those coughs and colds. You know, rest and relaxation and increased fluids, that's probably the best remedy for, for a lot of pregnancy-related, you know, cough and cold. A lot of the products out there for cough, cold that we went over do have the category C for pregnancy, mm-hmm. which means that the benefits have not been proven and that there may be some risks that have occurred in animal studies. So they don't, we don't really know if they're safe. Um, we don't really know if they're effective. They could be effective and safe. We just don't know. And so you want to try to think about that before you start taking medications if you're pregnant or you're caring for somebody that is pregnant. It's just some rules of thumb. You know, antihistamines generally are safe for pregnant patients. Um, so Benadryl would be safe or cetirizine would be safe to take if you want to kind of help with that congestion. And then Afrin is actually preferred product after nasal saline. Again, because you're not giving it throughout the whole body and it's not going into the baby it's acting in the nose um that can be uh that could be something that can be helpful you don't want to use that in the first trimester so it's really only preferred to be used in the second or third trimesters but that can be a product that can be helpful for pregnant friends it is tough when you're pregnant and you're sick though because you you are limited to what you can take and it's all in the way of health for you and baby greg this was super helpful man I mean, I, I feel like if anybody was listening to this episode while they were at a local pharmacy and going up and down the aisle, one, you've been at the pharmacy too long, so you probably should get out of there. They're probably <laughs> getting suspicious. But two, I feel like people learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot, right? So the next time that I have I have an issue, I certainly will be referencing this this episode. And, and more than anything, I feel like this is a classic doctor friend question totally. right? or pharmacy friend question. So I hope at the end of this episode, the, the listeners will take pictures of things that they are considering. If you have a cold and you don't know what to do, take a picture of what you're considering and, you know, share it with us. And <laughs> we'll tell you, you know, like that, that's not safe to take with that. Don't do that. Or, right. or yeah, that, that'll help with your symptoms. So that's awesome. Send me the tough ones. Send me the hard yeah. ones. I'll yeah, be right. happy we'll, to weigh we'll, in. Yeah, we'll connect you with Greg. We'll just give you his home <laughs> phone number. <laughs> um, we like to do a little segment of rapid fire at the end of our things. I, I was thinking we should probably trademark something at some point for this, but we still call it rapid fire for now. Mm-hmm. It's basically meant to just ask some things to get to know you, Greg, a little bit outside of uh, medicine or just be a little bit fun off the topic. So, Julie, do you have something you want to start with? I like asking spooky season questions. So I know, Greg, mm-hmm. you, you have three little ones. Any plans for, are you like a let's dress up together in costuming type of family? Or do you let let the children decide and then they kind of pick whatever they want to do? What are our Halloween outfit plans, if any? Yeah, we're big fall people. Mm. Love fall, love Halloween. I don't really like spooky horror movies or any of that stuff, <laughs> but I love the season, love the time of year. When you are the parent of five and three-year-old girl, uh, you don't get to make any of the decisions. So they are choosing what they want to wear, and we are either conforming to that or just going as ourselves. And I think we have a Wonder Woman this year and a unicorn. So I don't know how you marry those. Who cares? I don't know that those are, you know, together in any Marvel universe, but um, yeah. And then my my uh, son is probably going to be a pumpkin. I mean, oh. he's one, so that's just what he's relegated to. Right the classic now. pumpkin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's perfect. They kind of look like pumpkins anyways around right. that age. So you just like, 
Hey, Greg, whenever like a doctor goes into a social situation, and Julie, I think you could probably empathize with this, where somebody doesn't know you and mm-hmm. you introduce yourself, and then whatever for whatever reason it comes up, like yeah, they're a doctor. Like the following question is always like. I'm so interested in like what mm-hmm. comes out of people's mouths. It's usually like, oh, I had this thing I meant to ask you about or mm-hmm. like whatever. When you are in a situation like that as a pharmacist and you're like, they find out you're a pharmacist, what is like a common thing that that people say after that? The first thing they ask is, so do you work at CVS or Rite Aid yeah. or Giant Eagle, <laughs> right? That's the first thing. You know, like a phar- pharmacist doesn't do anything but work in one of those yes. like locations, right? Yes. And so I, even my neighbors, who I love my neighbors, if they ever listen to this, I've been living next to them for years and just found out this week that like I work in a hospital and teach doctors about things. Right. They're like, wait, you do that? Like, yeah, that's what we've been living together for five years now. Like, you should know this. (laughs) So um, that's probably the first thing Mm -hmm. that people will ask is like, where do you work? Mm -hmm. And just kind of doing some education that not all pharmacists are behind a counter somewhere. So Inevitably, though, they do go to those like, oh, well, what would you do for this or that? Or how can you treat this? The weirdest thing I've been asked, and you guys have been subject to this a lot, too. But as a pharmacist, it's very eye opening. Somebody starts undressing in front of you like, oh, I've got this, <laughs> got this rash. And Where they're like, you know, going? showing. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's the weirdest thing that I've been asked as a pharmacist. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Nice. Yeah. Consent is is sexy. Let's all let's all, let's all ask for permission before we start disrobing in front of people. Yeah, it's usually like happening commonly. Is this okay too. if I just show you? It's like I okay, sure. You know, um, yeah, it's happening now. <laughs> it's happening now. <laughs> you can't see it out there because it's just a podcast. But oh no, don't worry. We're we, we've been taping you this whole time. Julie got another one for him. I like to ask the the typical like, what is your uh, auditory pleasure when you're like at home doing stuff or in the car on a commute or just trying to, are you a music guy? Are you a podcast guy? Are you a book on tape guy? What do you use to unwind auditorily? Yeah, I, it's funny because again, with having three kids, you don't get to control like anything anymore. You're all going to have to do an episode (laughs) in the future about instant gratification for children. And the the science is emerging, but like if I'm in my car and they want to listen to something, if it Mm -hmm. doesn't happen right away or Spotify shoots out a different song, (laughs) like end of the world. I didn't want that. I wanted something else. (laughs) So in in the small minutes that I have every day Mm -hmm. to like kind of listen, if I'm driving to work without the kids or whatever, I'm generally listening to like public radio or Mm-hmm. Um, I do I do like music. I like to, especially if I'm like working on stuff, I like mm. to listen to dance music. It's got like a good beat, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like kind of like going with the rhythm and yeah. typing out a paper or something like that. So those would kind of be my go-tos if I do get some some downtime to listen. I'm, <laughs> I do like some podcasts. I typically try to listen to a medical podcast a week, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure you guys are like me. It's you're surrounded by medicine all the time. And so in those free moments, the last thing that I usually want to do is listen to more yeah. medicine stuff. Totally get you. It's nice to balance things out. I'm a big true crime person myself. So that's how I, I, like I scratch that itch a little bit. The instant gratification was a great suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Alexa's not fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> My whole life is literally that. Yes. It's I literally, I mean, if we went play by play just today, mm-hmm. I could give you 15 examples of instant gratification where I was like, just, oh my God. Yeah. I'm 38 years old. You had to wait for the song to come on the radio and then put your tape cassette in there and hit record really fast. You'd have to call and make 
and make a request and wait for for the DJ to take your request and then yeah tape it. I don't know. I'm oh 38 years old and I have those instant gratification problems all the time personally within my own brain. So I can I can relate to the to the little yeah. children. <laughs> yeah, your brain's developed and it still has them. So yeah, they're <laughs> yes. My son has the don't stop asking until it happens problem just mm-hmm. like that literally like or just keep saying why 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 mm-hmm. why why so the only way to get out of that cycle with the broken record of why is generally to be like well why do you think and then he usually goes and then walks away <laughs> that's the antidote <laughs> i like that yeah. well, why do you I'm think tucking that one um, away <laughs> yes <laughs> it will stop working as most things in kids yeah taking care of kids do, but for now it does greg if people wanted to learn more about you or your program or anything you do is there ways that they can follow i I know you were doing some stuff with the, the with the residency and trying to like make some stuff. What do you got going on? Yeah, yeah. So if you're interested in pursuing a career in medicine and you're in the process of looking for residency or pharmacy and you're mm-hmm. in, the, in the process of looking for pharmacy residency, definitely check out Pittsburgh and check out our program, UPMC St. Margaret. If you Google that plus residency, you'll get access to all of our programs and stuff. Um, we have a few different websites out there. I'm happy to share my contact inf- info with you all as well. One thing that we're trying to do, although it's crazy, is do a fun take on journal clubs. So if mm. you're in medicine or pharmacy or whatever, and you have you have to read journal articles, you know that those can be time consuming and boring. <laughs> and so one of the groups I'm a part of is working on a project to help make them not boring and not time consuming. And so we have created a season one of six episodes where we've picked six journal articles and reviewed them in a fun way. Um, I don't want to give too much of it away, but you'll hear my voice underneath a panda head running around the hospital. So if you (laughs) want some more info on that, uh, just Google uh, Detective St. Margaret Files, and uh, it'll be probably the first YouTube link that comes up, and you can look at our season one. We We will definitely put that in the show notes. It'll definitely go in the show notes, because everybody's clicking on that literally right now, including me, who's I'm (laughs) pulling it up as we speak. That's really good. That's really good. Julie, you want to give a call to action today? Yeah. Call to action would be, well, first, Jeremy's wearing another one of our, our new pieces of merch, which coincidentally is the same color as a NyQuil chicken. So <laughs> it's, it's NyQuil chicken colored and it says Your Doctor Friends on it and it's gorgeous. So if you go to yourdoctorfriendspodcast.com, we'll have links to, to merch. I think that'd be a good one. Buy our stuff. It's really cute. The merch is fun and it's growing. Um, so we, uh, I, I wore a bunch of it too. And I have stuff for the kids too. There's stuff for kids out there. Yes. So yes. I had some at our little block party yesterday and I got a lot of uh, positive <laughs> feedback on it. So, and there's there's a beautiful QR code on the yes. back so you can find our stuff. And so it, Sudo- it, it, yeah. it's pretty awesome. Sudafed is not for kids, but our merch is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, stupid. I like it. Yeah, I feel like that has to be the end of the episode right there. Is, uh, yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Check your Sudafed, buy some merch. Yeah, right. We really appreciate the time, Greg. This is a very, very uh, topical thing. I mean, we're going to mm-hmm. get, I'm, I'm already getting questions about this, and I think this is going to be a bad cold and flu season just because of how much interaction there's going to be uh, that, yeah. that hasn't been. And we people kind of forget what cold and flu sure. season really is like. So I think this is going to be really helpful for people. So yeah. When you're in the uh, cold and flu aisle, uh, don't get overwhelmed. Just ask your doctor, friends. The amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. 
please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.